Hello. Hello, financial feminists. Welcome back. Welcome back. We are so thrilled to be with you again for another week of Financial Feminist. This month, we're focusing heavily on what we're calling money at home. So that means both how you handle your finances in your day-to-day life and the literal place you call home. So we have some great episodes coming up on things like how to manage money with your family. But for a few episodes, we're diving into real estate specifically. So who better to bring on the show than the queen of real estate? Selling Sunsets, Maya Vander. Maya Vander is a luxury real estate agent highly recognized for her role in Netflix's original docuseries, Selling Sunset. The show follows Maya and her colleagues at the Oppenheim Group, selling some of LA's most glamorous properties. The series quickly reached phenomenal success with its first four seasons quickly picked up due to its large fan base and season five, which recently premiered April 22nd. Outside of the show's phenomenal success, Maya keeps busy running circles in the real estate market on both coasts. Eager to share her success, Maya recently opened her own online course, Keys to Becoming a Top Agent, offering young real estate agents top tips to build a solid foundation in their careers and elevate their business. We'll link this in the show notes if you're interested. In her spare time, this Israeli native is very active in her charity work, most recently partnering with Push Pregnancy and Aliyah in Action after suffering a loss of her own due to stillbirth. Maya's goals are to speak out for these organizations and work alongside them to stop preventable losses and provide women, birthing people, and families comfort as they take steps towards healing after the loss of their baby. As a content warning, we do talk about Maya's story of pregnancy loss in this episode. Beyond that, though, in today's episode, we talk about Maya's entry into real estate, how she balances running a successful real estate business alongside her work in reality TV, and she also guides us through some common real estate questions we get from our community. So if you are interested in buying property, if you are a new homeowner, if you're navigating what it's like to <laughs> try to fight a bunch of other people for the house you really want, this episode is definitely going to be helpful for you. Maya also vulnerably shares about her pregnancy loss and how it spurred her into action, helping support other women who have experienced pregnancy and infant loss as well. Maya is truly an incredible woman. This is such an informative, amazing episode, and we were so excited to have her on the show. So let's go ahead and get into it. I'm so excited to have you. I have so many questions for you. Can you tell us your backstory of getting into real estate? And then specifically, how did you end up in luxury real estate? So, yeah, it's interesting. I was uh, I was working retail. I was um, I moved from Israel to Los Angeles and I worked for many years in a clothing store in Los Angeles. And then my mom told me, why don't you go get your real estate license? And I'm like, you know what? Why not? But it's very risky because getting your real estate license means you're going to work only on commission if you are going to be a real estate agent. And I always like a steady salary. But I took the chance and I got into real estate and I got the license and I joined my first uh, company, Brokerage in Beverly Hills. And I just hustled. I worked really hard and I didn't sell only luxury. And even now, by the way, in Miami, I sell lower price point as well. So it's not only like by a certain price point and up. Um, I believe that every transaction is money and every client can refer you to different clients and maybe that client will sell and buy something bigger. So I don't reject really business. I mean, depends, some maybe, but it's it's a lot of hard work. Um, I was licensed in LA for about three years until I joined Jason. And then obviously like doing open houses for high-end clients, uh, 
expensive listings, then you get you meet more clients, I network a lot. So it's it's really like nonstop work, to be honest. Do you find that the definition of luxury has changed? Because I think a lot of people hear the word luxury and immediately like tie it to like, oh, a million dollars. But I live in Seattle where a two bedroom, two bath is now a million dollars. So what are we defining as like luxury versus maybe like, I don't know, general or regular real estate? It's a good question. I I think it's 5 million and up probably. That's my my opinion. Because yeah, look, Miami, I mean, you could get a beautiful house like, eight years ago for one million and now you cannot even get it's a teardown so i wouldn't call it luxury um same with la la frankly it's almost 1.7 1.8 teardown so um to me it's five million and up and i sell less than that so what does that mean do i not sell luxury i mean i sell more than that and i sell less than that so i sell both yeah. I And I think it's interesting, too, where you're like, yeah, I still sell homes that aren't luxury real estate. Do you find that there's like a general difference? I mean, obviously, it's it's like how much money somebody's willing to spend, but like a general difference in someone's uh, process when they're looking for a home versus looking for like a luxury property. I feel like the more expensive price points are almost like easier to sell because those people have money. They are savvy. It might not be their first time they buy. They already did real estate somewhere. Sometimes, honestly, like the $400,000 condos are a pain in the ass to deal with because the buyers are not qualified necessarily. So I think that the higher price point is almost easier. Do you find, too, there's like less competition in theory? Because I know like Seattle, the joke is like the houses go for so much more than asking. And in addition... There's always like twelve people, fifteen people that are that are applying or that are you know submitting. It's the same here. I feel like now it's 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 starting to slow down a little bit, but it it's the same. I mean, million dollar here. I mean, everybody that comes and they want to buy between one and one million and two million. I'm like, oh my gosh, because I know they're gonna to have to compete with like ten other buyers. Only now it's slowing down just a little bit. But it's been a crazy market in the last, uh, frankly, COVID. COVID is, did well to Miami and every other city, actually. Yeah. What, my next question was about, like, what trends are you seeing? Like, what have you seen in the last two years? And what do you expect to see, like, let's say, in the next year or two? Like, what has changed about the market? Yeah, people need for their space. Now everybody who need, needs an in-home office, that wasn't even... A thing like a couple of years ago, home office, more space, bigger yard, potentially at a pool to the yard. So COVID, people were locked down for two years and they were looking to how do I get my property better? People moved from the city to the suburbs because they wanted more space and the city sometimes doesn't allow it. You have the condos and they want more privacy and being away from people. I think moving forward, yes, people are going back to work at their offices versus remotely, but a lot of people are still staying at least part-time, you know, the remote work from home. So I think the office space will always be um, necessary. I think that was the main change, just an extra office space, big time. Yeah. And I'm more room. I think you're exactly right. I think people were, yeah, when you're, when you're stuck at home and you have no other option, as opposed to, you know, plenty of people would just go to work and that's where they were for, you know, 
eight plus hours and then they maybe go out with friends. You're getting home at like eight or nine and then going right to bed versus your entire life spent at home. Hard to do that in a one bedroom condo. I did that for two years, like very hard. <laughs> we moved from our house. Um, we lived in a condo. And when I get, got pregnant with my son, we moved to a house. So that was like two years before COVID. But I can only imagine if I would be in that condo with elevators and being other people. And, you know, first everyone like, oh my gosh, COVID. And we really like keep the social distancing. So I can honestly not imagine doing that, especially with kids. So can you walk us through how commissions on homes work? How long are paychecks staggered? between like when you make first contact with someone and then receive money from the sale like what is what does that whole process look like for someone who isn't in real estate or somebody who's just listening to this being like i don't know how any of this works it's it depends on the clients but in a good case if you are in a with a savvy clients who's doing all cash you can get your paycheck within two weeks you can get your paycheck within a month in the worst case if you're working with clients who are looking for several months you can get your paycheck after seven, eight months until they decide to put an offer. Because if I found my clients a house, that means I don't know how long I've been running around with them. Some of them I ran around with them for a month. Some of them I, I can show them like seven, eight months and they still haven't found. So let's assume we executed a contract today. Uh, typically contract is between 30 days to 45 days. And then the commission, uh, I see a lot of commission cuts right now, unfortunately, but I would say it's between 2% to 3% to me because I represent either the buyer or the seller. Then once I got the 3%, let's just assume 3% from the purchase price, then I have a broker who takes a cut. So every broker has a split. Um, the broker basically is the big guy. I mean, if you compare Selling Sunset, it's like Jason. Liability issue, uh, responsibility. We have to, as real estate agents, we have to hang our license under a brokerage. So I'm with Compass now. So Compass is my brokerage. They're going to take a cut because... They're giving me, um, you know, tools to use, uh, tech, support, administration. So they take some sort of like commission from the 3%. Every agent, every company has different splits. I would tell you for a new agent, usually the agent will take 60% of the 3%. And the broker will keep 40 for a new agent. Or it could be 70, 30, so really, or 80, 20, it depends. Out of that commission that you take home, you have to pay taxes. So when you see the commission on selling sunset, in theory, yes, that's the big chunk. But then you have like all these cuts and splits until you actually get paid. So, I mean, for you, I think you're potentially in a more unique position where you are getting these like massive or I shouldn't, I mean, they're bigger than average, right? They're bigger than what you might expect because you're selling luxury real estate, right? You're getting these chunks. Not if I sell a $400,000 condo, but if I sell a, I would say million and up, 2 million and up, then yeah, it could be 20, 30, 40,000 commission. If you sell $10 million house, all of a sudden you're in the 100,000 commission. But it's not always happening. It's not as often. It depends. It depends. My last two years were great in real estate. I did really well, but it was actually a lot of like small transaction and combination of a couple of big ones. So how are you thinking about your personal finances then? If you know, oh, I could go a month, two months, three months, maybe even six months without seeing a paycheck. Like, what is your mindset? It's stressful. It's very stressful. And I've been there. I mean, not in the last three, four years because my, my career finally took off. And I'm telling you finally, because I've been in real estate for 10 years. 
and I had good months that I'm like, oh, I'm closing one deal after another or big deals. And I'm like, oh, great. But, you know, in the meantime, you have to leave. That was before I was married. I have to leave. I've spent money. You know, LA is expensive. You pay rent. You pay taxes. It can be very stressful when you don't have that consistency. Thankfully, in the last few uh, years, I've been doing uh, real estate on a constant basis, even if it's a small deal. Every time I get paid, I put aside money for uh, on my saving account. So little by little, I build up. I dedicate X, X amount of my amount for um, marketing budget. And based on that, I'm like, okay, what am I comfortable spending? What do I know coming in? And uh, I'm, you know, I'm very careful with, with that. I mean, I'm not going to go and sell a house and go run and buy a Chanel bag. You know, like that's not my priority. Um, unless it's a huge deal, maybe. But generally, I am very much... I'm very cautious because you just really never know, especially if the market is shifting. You have to be very careful. Well, and I think the unique part about what you specifically do is that a lot of this information is very public. And I will talk about this a little bit later, but like, how does that feel for you knowing like, okay, I'm discussing on a national platform, you know, how expensive this house is. And people can do the math, right? Like, how does that feel for you? So if you notice, like on my IG, I never post usually the uh, sell amount. I just put under contract, under contract. I never put the address. I never put the, the sell amount because I don't need people to know how much money I make and calculate the commission because, you know, when you see the show, yeah, it looks always glamour. But we do have the broker fee. We have taxes. And sometimes we have to give commission to our buyer or seller because they really want that, you know, our commission to make them happy. And sometimes the commission is not 3%, all of a sudden it's 2%. Or, so it's a little bit different. And yeah, I don't want people to, you know, the whole Google thing, trust me, I see in our Google like income and all that. I mean, I can tell you it's all nonsense. It's really not true. Whether if it's more or less, none of it is true. The people just assume based on whatever endorsements or real estate transaction, but it really depends. So I personally don't say the price point for the properties that I'm doing, unless it's like a marketing for a client, like a listing presentation and all that. But social media, I just do, I'm very vague with that. I'm like, look at me, I sold something, but I'm not telling you how much, what it is. I'm just showing that I'm doing real estate. That's my, my thing. So if someone listening is trying to choose an agent, what should they be looking for? What sort of questions should they ask? They should just look for me if they want to buy in a, a <laughs> California and Miami. That's it. Um, <laughs> no, I think, uh, you know, that you have to vibe with your agent. You have to trust your agent and know that they have the best interest. I mean, I've been showing my clients properties um, that, offer less commission but I didn't care because I just want my clients to be happy so you want to make sure you're working with an agent that not necessarily put his commission uh, as first priority but put your client priority first if you represent them on a buy on the sell side I just think look for an agent that offer you good marketing that is willing to do those open houses willing to be there available showings just be available for your clients and communicate I think it's super important yeah I was very close to buying a condo when I was like 22, 23, because I had that narrative of like, oh, renting is throwing away money. And the real estate agent I worked with, I had a horrible experience. Like this person. Why is that? Oh, great question. He 
didn't really advocate for me. A lot of the things I was asking for, he kind of scoffed at. He, like, I was very young too, so I didn't really know what I wanted. And my parents, well-intentionedly, but they were doing a lot of pushing of like, oh, you want this or like, oh, you should buy something with this feature or something like that. And so it was just a very interesting process. I learned a lot. I didn't end up purchasing. I still don't actually own property. But I think one of the things that was so crucial for me realizing was like how much you need somebody who's in your corner and who's going to advocate for you and who's going to listen to you. I felt like, yeah, he didn't really honor what I needed. Didn't really yeah, advocate. I remember at one point I was trying to, you know, I found the condo and we were negotiating the price down and he's like, I don't think you should negotiate at all. And I was like, every, every other condo is sold for less than this. Like it doesn't make sense because I think he wanted a higher commission, which like just felt really icky. I'm like, no, if I can negotiate this down a couple thousand dollars, like I'm going to do that. And especially this was like 2016 outside of Seattle when you could. <laughs> when you could. Yeah. Now I will tell you that's going to be tough. I mean, even now I'm like, I mean, I'm in a situation now with my clients that I try to negotiate down for them, but I knew that I knew they really wanted the house and I knew the house had three other offers. So I told him just, put 10,000 more. It's not that significant. Just put more. Let's just try to do, to be as aggressive as possible. And then paying 10,000 more doesn't really uh, change my commission significantly. Yeah. So, and I showed him houses between 1.6, which I actually really like. And now we're at like 2 million. So, it, you know, it's like, I, I actually never operate by price point or commission myself. Like I just want my clients to be happy. A lot of agents do, unfortunately, they look about how much commission the agent, the listing agent is offering, and based on that, they decide to show or not show. And it's a shame. Yeah, in this market, unfortunately, it's hard for us agents to negotiate anything for our client because we are still in the seller's market. I think it's going to change. I think we're going to start seeing more inventory. It might shift a little bit to more buyer's market, but not yet. Can you tell me more about that? Because I'm seeing similar things, but it's really hard to know for sure. So like, what are the signs for you that that's, it's moving that way? More inventory, for sure. Um, single family where I am, there is still shortage, but I start seeing a little bit more and more inventory. For condos, I've seen way more condos. So I already know, okay, with the condos, I might have a better chance to negotiate. People are not jumping as they used to. But it depends also on the price point. If the price point is decent, then they're not going to necessarily negotiate too much down. It depends on the seller. But I think more inventory is definitely an indication of some sort of like change. That means um, more supply. So more supply, it's it's better for the buyers generally. Yeah. Well, and our listeners, I mean, they range from renters to first-time home buyers to empty nesters. So, like, what is your best piece of real estate advice to a non-luxury buyer, like someone who's try- trying to buy whatever house they can afford? I would say you don't have to always look at like 50 properties. Like if you go to a property and you love it and you feel a good energy, go for it. Even if you think you're paying over, overly paying by 20, 30,000, whatever, it's worth it. You're probably going to be there seven years. The price point with the mortgage is not going to make or break a deal. It's maybe going to be 200 bucks different in your mortgage payment. But also don't uh, go behind your needs. Rates are higher now, so that means your mortgage payment will be higher. So maybe you have to adjust your budget. Rents are expensive and they've been cra- they've been going up and crazy in the last few, uh, last literally couple of months. So see what mortgage plan you can get, even though with high rates. 
maybe it's worth pulling the trigger on it, but just adjust your price point to make sure you're comfortable because you have mortgage payment, you have property taxes, you have other costs that comes with property that you have to consider, you have closing costs, you have to factor all of it into your budget. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that has actually kept me from purchasing so far is like the cost of all of those things and knowing there is like a certain... I was about to say luxury, like pun intended, but there is a certain benefit to like being a renter where I can call somebody else and have them handle, you know, certain things. However, of course, like I, I really crave having my own space that I get to do with what I want. So yeah, there's, there's trade-offs. And I think it is really important to consider the full cost of a property before you purchase. Cause a lot of people just see what's the sticker price versus property taxes. Then the is, yeah. Or closing costs could be a couple of thousands of dollars. And they didn't expect that all of a sudden. And then you pay an interest for a long time and barely put in any equity on your property. So there are a couple of things to, to consider when you purchase. So work around your budget. Yeah. You mentioned like the energy of a house when you walk in. I, I am very much that person too, like who gets certain energy from places. And like my gut will tell me. Is that is that what you mean? Like, tell me more about like what that feeling is when you walk into a home that you like. I mean, when my husband and I uh, purchase our property, we first of all we we weren't really sure if we want to buy. We were also renting comfortable in a condo. We saw maybe two properties, but then we walked into our houses we bought, and I told my husband right away, I'm like, I love it. There is something in it that I know can work for us. I just felt it. Like it's just whether if it's you know, a bright house or the kitchen or the open floor plan, whatever it is, the layout, there are a couple of things that you just feel it. Or if you buy in a condo, maybe it's the view, maybe it's just, again, the, the floor plan, like something that just, you feel good with it. And I think you have to feel good when you walk into a place to buy. And even if it's, even if it's your first place that you see, maybe it's the first place. Maybe you don't have to see 100 places because maybe you're going to, change your mind after let's say you walk into a place you're like okay but it's only the first place let me see others and then in, that place is gone you're like oh damn i should have bought that place so you should go with your energy and and feel if you can afford it you know i think i think that's yeah that's that's how i live my entire life it's just like how do i feel about this thing like what is my gut telling me i think on the on the opposite something that you said of like walking into a home and loving it one thing that i've heard a lot is that you shouldn't completely fall head over heels for something until like you you've purchased it until you're like closing on it do you subscribe to that as well yeah because you don't want to keep your hopes up i mean you can go you can do inspection something comes out in the inspection you don't like it or maybe you lose the house for a different buyer but so i know it's hard to not get attached and wait until it's like signed and you officially record and you're officially on title I would say, I mean, if you feel it, you feel it. It's hard to control, but I guess, yeah, be cautiously optimistic that you're going to close the deal. Yeah. So you've moved, you were, you were talking before about like the transition from like being an agent to being a broker because you now own your own brokerage in Florida. So no, how I is don't. the pro- everybody assume oh, you that. don't? Oh, you no, don't assume that. My doc <laughs> says you do. Tell me more about that. I tell you why, because I announced my team, which is a team of three girls, me and three it's my associate. 
and team and group doesn't mean a brokerage, it means we are a team under a brokerage, so I'm a team under Compass, Compass is my broker. But the Got media, okay. oh, Maya announced, you know, she has her own brokerage, blah, 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 and it's, they totally, they don't get the difference between an agent and a broker. So yeah. I am studying for my broker license. I've been studying forever because I have no time to study, but the goal is to get my license, but I'm not going to plan, I'm not planning to open my own brokerage for liability issues. Um, so I'm happy with Compass. It's a huge company. They're all over the place and I can refer business to other agents and they have great, great branding. So it's my team and my group, basically my group under Compass. Got it. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. I appreciate it. Okay, cool. Okay. So before we transition to Selling Sunset, what for you do you see as the entire process for someone who's never bought a home from like, okay, I'm trying to find an agent to like, I've moved in, like very, very basic. What's that process look like? I would say first get qualified. Like when clients contact me and they don't even know if they have enough down payment and they don't understand the qualification, it's a complete waste of time. So you need to go to a lender, whether if it's your bank or a private mortgage broker and get your pre-qualification letter. Once we know what you're comfortable with and what is your budget that you can actually get the loan or unless you have cash, then I can go and shop and, and send you option based on your budget criteria. Then we go look at places and then we start narrowing down what's important to you, what's not important to you. Then we write a contract. Let's say we find a place, you're qualified, we write a contract. Uh, and hopefully within 30 to 45 days, we are good. You close on your house and you get your keys. You make it sound so simple. I know. It's easy, right? <laughs> it's so easy. <laughs> So what do you find like are the common pitfalls? You already mentioned one of like somebody not getting their pre-qualification letter. Like what are some of the other ones that somebody could avoid who's listening? I would say, yeah. I mean, also be be focused. I mean, I, buyers, like they tell me they want one area and then they end up, ended up buying in a completely different area. Mm. And they don't want me to send them stuff in one area, but then I realize they keep looking on a different area. So buyers can sometimes be all over the place. So maybe it's also good to just tell your aid, let your agent just show you places, even if it's an area that you never considered or thought about. Yeah. Be open-minded because I know for many transactions that they say one thing and then they're buying something else. It's like dating, right? You say you want something and you meet somebody else and you're like, oh, this isn't who I expected exactly. at all. So like, yeah. Honestly, yes, that's a good, that's a good comparison. It's like dating. So yeah. be open-minded because you never know. Yeah. And I, I've experienced that even as a renter of like, okay, I want to be, I think I want this. And then, you know, I get in the place and I'm like, oh, I actually really like this other thing or this different location. And yeah. And I feel like, especially you, you guys have a, a different knowledge, of course, of, you know, everything and can show certain things that maybe somebody hasn't considered before. So I, I love that tip of being open-minded. My, myself, my best friend, my mom, my mom does this all the time. She like plays real estate agent with me. She'll like send me like the Zillow or Redfin posts. Do you find that that's helpful or is that annoying for you as a real estate agent? Like to have, to have people playing agent. You know, and people do it all the time to me too. I'm sure they send you of like, oh, I saw this place on Zillow or I saw this place. I don't know. Where does, what is the luxury Zillow? Like, are there luxury homes posted on Zillow or is there like a separate site for those? No, not necessarily. They just send whatever they like. And, you know, look, usually when buyers like sign up for Zillow or uh, whatever, Redfin or one of those, 
they set, set up a criteria and based on the criteria they get some as notifications so they might get actually a notification in the morning before I even check for them the inventory <laughs> and then they're in your text messages inbox like have you seen this <laughs> yes 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 and I sometimes they beat me to the punch but it's fine because then I see what they want I go online I make sure it's available I schedule the showings I'm usually very on top of it. I check my the inventory multiple times a day. I'm always on the MLS. But I'm also a human being as soon as I can pick up my son from school or whatever or my daughter and all of a sudden there is a new listing come up in that second and I haven't checked yet. So it's fine. Uh, some of the listings, especially on Zillow, they're not always accurate. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes it could be a spam. Um, so it, it depends. Yeah, totally. But I'm fine with my clients sharing. It's all good. As long as they go with me as an agent and not tell me, oh, we end up buying with someone else. We went to the open house and we just went with the realtor there because it happens too. But how often do you think that happens? Because you said like sign a contract. Do they have a contract with you? I should. I mean, as a buyer exclusive, I don't, I don't have them sign a buyer, a buyer's exclusive. And unfortunately, sometimes it, it can be um, not to my advantage because they can go behind my back. I usually just expect from clients to be loyal because they think we make all this commission, but we, we put a lot of effort in doing the research, coordinate, showing, running around, taking our Sundays off. It happened to me recently. A client decided to work with a different agent because she thought she's going to find her some off-market listings, which she haven't still. <laughs> but what am I going to do? You know, I mean, I spent so much time with them and you know what? If they don't want to work with me exclusively, then I don't want to spend my time. Then I have other clients who will appreciate my time with them. It also feels like dating again, where you're like, I'm building this relationship and then you go cheat on me, but fine. Whatever. Yeah, basically. Okay. And you know, if I would slack <laughs> in as an agent to them, I would, I'd, I would get it. But if I'm like there and I'm sending them stuff and I'm on a group text and I'm responsive and I'm going Sunday. So maybe I'm too nice. I don't know. Maybe I'm too much. Maybe I should be more mean. Um, so unfortunately it happens in this business. There's not always loyalty. Yeah. I mean, speaking of the drama, I, I have so many questions for you transitioning. So when a reality show, the idea of a reality show comes your way, like what is your first thought? The the, the selling sunset idea? Yeah. Like somebody, did somebody pitch you? Like how was, how was that process? And like, how did you, like, what was your thought? Were you like, I don't want to do this or was it appealing? When Million Dollar Listing came out, like a long time ago, I was watching Yeah. Oh, my mom's obsessed with Million Dollar Listing. And I love still. MDL. I, I do. I love MDL. So I actually messaged the producer way before I was with Jason. And I was like, why don't you do a show like Million Dollar Listing just like like with women? And he's like, yeah, that's a good idea, but it never, it never happened. Then I joined Jason and the producer pitched the show to Jason. And obviously we had a couple of male guys in our office as well, but for some reason they decided to focus only on the beautiful ladies and I thought it was a cool idea because I could tell you know we have a sexy office great location luxury we could totally do the million dollar listing just women and we shot the demo and when I saw the demo I knew it's going to be a very successful show I just didn't realize how successful it really took took off yes what about that first like that pilot or demo were you like oh this is going to be successful I think the cinematography, we said a couple of funny, funny lines and I thought it was like entertaining and the girls were all sweet and, you know, the music, they put everything together to make it look like a sexy LA show. And I knew it's going to be like, you know, it's the same producer as The Hills. So I knew it's going to be 
fully <laughs> successful. And yeah, it just like every season just got got better and better. No, I saw it coming. I'm like, I knew it's gonna be a good show. Which I love because I think a lot of women look at things they produce or things they're involved in and they go like, I don't know if I, I don't know if this is gonna be successful. And I love that you knew. And I love that you own that you knew. Yeah. <laughs> I mean we we had great time shooting the demo and the pilot. And then when we saw it, I was like, wow, this is great. And um, season one did okay. It didn't do really well because we didn't get any marketing. So nobody really knew about Selling Sunset. COVID, that when, that's when everybody discovered us. Yeah. Well, and how was filming the show? Because you filmed, what was it, season two during COVID? No, it was before. We got lucky. We've, we filmed season two and three back to back right before COVID starting to be a thing. So we already had two seasons in the making and then everything shut down for like about a year. And then we resume kind of like we still had COVID, but it was people are starting to get back a little bit to normal. And then we had to test all the time. We had to test like every week. How do you feel like the market exploding changed the dynamics of the show or changed like the through line of the show? You know, it was a bit hard to get real estate in this, in season four because that was, we filmed season right after COVID and COVID was a pretty dry period, a little bit in LA. LA was really like hurting because it was a major shutdown. Um, Miami was booming, but I wasn't filming in Miami. I was filming in LA and LA, LA, the inventory was also very tight and, you know, you don't have high inventory and you, but you also have less international buyers because they couldn't travel for COVID. So it was a bit challenging to get the real estate in, in Selling Sunset Season 4 and doing like all these like extra events, you know, Brokers Open and get people together because we still had to have some sort of like limitation. But we did it. We make it work. I mean, then maybe that's why the reason they focus only on the engagement in Season 4 with she was engaged or not engaged with Christine because <laughs> it was hard to find other things to to focus on, I guess. Well, and one of the things that I think my team has talked about is it's like, when when you watch the show, you're like, how does anyone get any actual work done? Like, when you're filming the show, like, how how are you actually operating, you know, the business and, and doing that with all of the both on and off screen, you know, drama and, and storyline? So how rigorous is the filming schedule? And does it impact your ability to actually do your job? Yeah, I mean, thankfully, and the thing about me, I had to fly from Miami to LA every week. So I have to do a business in Miami, which, by the way, was my best, like, probably 15 months in my career. we still been back and forth because I also have girls on my team. So for me personally, I dedicate I dedicate some of the business to my associates. But the, the filming is tough. I mean, you film usually between Tuesday and Saturday. Now, granted, I don't film every week, Tuesday through Saturday, but... They're like, okay, you're on call on Thursday. And then, yeah, I come to the office in on Thursday. And, hey, now we're filming Brokers Open on Friday. Can you make it? So you have to kind of like be on standby between Tuesday and Saturday. And for me, like my business is mostly in, in Miami. So it's it's for me personally, it was tough. I know that Mary was working a lot too. And she was like trying to bounce between the office and the real estate and showings. Some of the girls doing real estate less, you know, like more part-time. So it wasn't as maybe intense for them. Yeah. But the ones who are doing it more seriously, it's it's a lot. You know, you film, you have to get makeup, you have to get outfits, you know, hair. It's like you have to look all glam and it's full-time job on its own. One of the things that we've talked about a lot on this show is 
the hidden both financial costs and emotional costs of just showing up as a human woman. So you just mentioned, you know, all of the hair and the makeup and heels and dresses and all these things. Like what, what for you was the trickiest part of that? I'm assuming Netflix paid for it. Is there, is there a budget for all of that? Or is the, are those your own clothes? Yeah, no, it's our own clothes and stuff. Um, oh, so you're like doing your own wardrobe and shit too. Exactly. And that's why you see me the basic one because wow. I have no desire. <laughs> I mean, look, a lot of the girls use stylists, right? And it's it costs money. Right. Yeah, and we get paid. We get paid per episode and we get paid decent. But I mean, for me, I have all these expenses besides like the clothing. I'm flying, you know, I'm traveling. I have to rent a place. I have to stay somewhere in LA. Right. So for me, like, I just didn't want to spend money on a stylist. Um, I didn't care to wear Dolce Gabbana to a scene, to be honest. I just didn't because I do real estate. Like, I don't need to look like I'm going on a runway on a fashion show. And I get it. Look, the girls, it's a fashion statement. People watch the show because the houses and the fashion and the glam. Well, and it is like the double standard, right, of like how we expect women to perform femininity, right? Like how we expect women to look, you know, on a TV show selling luxury real estate. So it is this double standard. It is. And you look at Chelsea and Christine and they dress all like so, and you know, all of them, Cushel and, you know, like tiptoe and perfect and designers and all that. And I'm like, I'm flying from Miami. I just landed. I'm like, I do not have an energy to want to, you know, Bloomingdale's to buy like a nice like outfit and spend thousands of dollars. And get and my then- hair blown out every day. And yeah. Yeah. So I got my basic hair and makeup just to look semi-decent. Look, I own my clothes. They, they're nice clothes. They're not like expensive designer, but they're like, you know, intermix. They're like theory, um, Reese or Rice. They're good brands. They're not like super expensive, but they're also not like Forever 21. Which, by the way, you can make a cute outfit from Forever 21 as well if you put the right bag and all that. And I had that too. Not in the, you know, in, in my past, but you know, like my attitude is like, listen, I, I do all this. I want to look professional. I mean, I want to look classy. And that's my thing. I'm not trying to be a Hollywood star. And I'm not trying to be a fashion icon. So every girl in the show has a different priority. Christine wants to be a fashion icon. She's going to Paris Fashion Week and New York Fashion Week. And that's her thing and good for her. For me, I'm trying to just get more real estate clients. And that's more important for me. So every girl in the show has that priority. And you know, I've been traveling. I was pregnant. I'm like, the last thing I care is like, unfortunately, is like doing all this crazy glam and yeah, yeah. I just want to be me. Have you gotten any criticism about that? Which I think is bullshit, obviously. You know, I think if I would probably put more effort in fashion in the show, maybe be more va-va-voo, maybe I'll get more scenes because it's interesting to watch. Um, but it's not me, you know, and 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 uh, it's. It's okay. We're all different. And I cannot pull off what Christine or Chelsea are wearing, for instance. It's just not me. Um, So I give them credit on that. Yeah. Do you look at reality television differently now because you're, you're behind the curtain? So I don't watch reality TV. The only watch the reality TV show that I love was like MDL, which I haven't watched in forever. And I, I like the Kardashian, but I haven't watched them in forever either. But look, I tell you, editing is a big deal. And and the way they edit things, I mean, I can say something 
I can say one sentence on something else and they show me like, let's say like this and nobody see that I said that. And all of a sudden it sounds like I said something different. It's not happened as often, but it happens. I can roll my eyes on something or laugh at something and they put it in a different scene. So it's very, oh, very interesting. tricky. Yeah, it's very tricky. Do you watch back episodes? Like, do you do you watch episodes of the show? I used to watch more, uh, but I haven't watched in forever, actually. But I used to watch more. I used to enjoy it more. When I was actually, when I featured more in the show, I used to watch it more. But I feel like my scenes got really butched. So I'm like, I'm not going to watch myself sitting in an office saying one line because I don't care for it. Um, and that's also part of my decision to not go on with the, the future seasons of Selling Sunset. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel it's got to be really hard to not be in control of your image or in control of how somebody uses, yeah, your your emotions, the expression on your face. That's got to be really, really challenging. Yeah, I mean, we got used to it. I mean, season one, I saw, I was more naive about how we do a reality show. And now I know, like, whatever I said, I said, I mean it. So I don't take anything that I said, like, back. And I'm not a control freak, so I trust the editors. I trust whatever they do. It's fine. You know, it's a little bit tricky because, yeah, they want us to talk about certain situations. And then if you don't talk about the situation, you're not going to be in the scene. You know, they're not going to show you. Right, so you have to like play the game in order to be a featured participant. Exactly. Like people say, and I keep saying this, I, people generally like me on the show, but yeah, I do have the comments, oh, Maya starts something and she leaves and she's an instigator. But it's not about that. It's just because if I'm not going to ask, hey, were you engaged or whatever, then I'm not even going to be in the show. So it's how to, you, you can't win. Yeah. Do you find like you pick your battles where you're like, yeah, okay, I'll participate here. And then other times you're like, no, I'm not going to do it. Yes. I mean, we had a scene we shot Vanessa and I, they wanted us to talk about Jason and Chrishell relationship. And we didn't want to talk about Jason and Chrishell relationship. We said a little bit, but I mean, and and sometimes in generally speaking, if I have an opinion, I don't want to always share it because I can offend someone by mistake and which I didn't mean to, to offend. So sometimes I have opinion and I could be more direct if I wanted to, but I, keep it to myself and sometimes if I ask a question maybe I sound more direct but it's also because I know that's what they want us to that's what they want us to talk about and I kind of know where they're going with it so I participate so yeah you do pick your battles for sure I feel like reality tv there is a certain level of authenticity right you're you're trying to be your authentic person and yet you also know there's a camera in the corner right you know that somebody's watching you do you find that there is parts of yourself that you're maybe performing or like, it, it, like, do you feel that sometimes like you mentioned like, oh, I'm not going to say this, but I normally would because like, I don't want to start shit. Like what is there a process for you that you feel like I'm separating the me that exists versus the me that's on camera? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, look, when we do office scenes, we film sometimes for four hours and the cameras are there. And sometimes you just forget the cameras are there. You're just talking like bullshitting around in the office. But if we go to, let's say, a broker event or something, um, and I see that unless I say something or ask a question, I'm probably not going to make it to the scene. So I purposely say something. It's not plain because I'm very honest generally and I'm very trying to stay true to myself. But yeah, it's necessarily sometimes if I ask a question that necessarily I probably wouldn't ask, um, but I'll ask it purposely to feature on the sh- on the show. So yeah, it does. Ha- it did happen to me. 
Yeah. And I, it's not for me, like I'm not seeing it as a negative. It's just like anybody's personality changes at least a little bit, or you're just, you're aware that like there's a camera like, and you know, you're going to show up slightly differently, you know, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse, just because somebody, you know, you know, somebody's watching you in a different way. Exactly. So, I mean, sometimes, yeah, we forget that the cameras are there and things happen, but generally, yeah, I mean, we know we are shooting a reality show and, you know, we are on the mercy of editing and whatever they want to put in. And you have to, to uh, like you said, pick your battles. How has the show made your life and business better? And if you're open and willing to share, how has it made it more challenging or worse? So thankfully, my character in the show character, which is me, really, uh, I, I come across as, a, as an agent, a real estate agent, which is a good thing. So it helps me... Um, not necessarily I would tell you of all these clients coming to my door, but I think it gives me credibility uh, with my business, which is a good thing. Because if I want to pitch myself for a listing or work with the buyer, people know, oh, she was on Selling Sunset. She's actually, you know, a real agent and all that. And she's great and all that. It's like a it's like a resume everybody's seen. They're like, oh, yeah. yeah. It's free marketing and it's everywhere. So it's great. I think the show is great. So, so it helps in that aspect. Uh, wait, what was the other question, Tori? Oh, I said, like, the how has it changed or, like, benefited your life versus, like, how has it made it more challenging or worse? <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, Instagram endorsements, for instance. We all do Instagram endorsements. Those, that's a great business, too. Um, great opportunities for us to just, you know, do that. I do. I have a real estate course for agents, real, new agents that I launched. Um, the link is on my IG. You know, it's because I got all these emails. Hey, how can I be an agent? Hey, we inspire people. So I think, I think I cannot say anything negative that came out from the show. I think it's all positive, to be honest. My real estate course, the exposure, IG endorsements, marketing. I think it's all great. And that's why it was hard for me to make a decision to not move forward with season six and seven. Which, you know, maybe I'll do cameos, but I, it will be tough because I'm in Miami. But it's hard. It's it's. I mean, everybody wants to be now. Wants everybody wants to do Selling Sunset. Now there is another reality show on Netflix uh, with the agency they do in the show. There is one in Miami. Like everybody wants to do Selling Sunset, but we are the original. And um, I want to tell everybody like, step back. We are the OG. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, good luck. Would you ever do another reality show? Oh, hundred percent. But I would love to be. Yeah, for sure. And look, they do selling. They they're gonna film selling Miami, but it's a different cast. It's a different ethnicity, so they are targeting to different type of drama. But I would definitely do a reality show if I don't have to travel to LA back and forth because it's a lot. If I could just do it in Miami for sure, I think it's fun. I, I mean, I enjoy. I love filming. It's just that with me, I have my kids and my husband in Miami, and I'm the one who's traveling, commuting, and oh, of course, that's that's a lot. Yeah, in addition to, yeah, you know, your personal life plus your actual business, this is like a, it's related, but it's kind of a separate thing. Yeah. What's better money, reality TV or real estate? Oh, real estate, for sure. <laughs> I figured. Because, <laughs> you know, here's my, what my, I think, I mean, unless you go on for like 15 seasons, like MDL, which you get paid per season, then you can do your book and all that stuff and all these endorsements. I mean, all of the reality show, they don't last too many seasons. So at some point it's stopped. And then what do you do? Right? So you have to think about more of the five minutes of fame. Yeah. You volunteer with an organization that is very important to you called Push Pregnancy. Can you tell us more about this organization and why it's so important to you? 
Yeah, so I'm trying to get involved more with like stillbirth organizations, pregnancy, pregnancy loss, because unfortunately I experienced pregnancy loss and a stillbirth. You know, stillbirth is not something common, but when you deliver a baby after 20 weeks, you have to deliver the baby because it has to come out from somewhere. And it's a very hard emotionally uh, thing to do, to handle. Mine was nine months. My baby was 38 weeks, which is terrible. I am so sorry. Yeah. Wow. Pretty bad wow. luck. You know, bad luck. It was some cold compression from what I understand. Something that's very rare, but it happened to me and I had to deliver. And that's when so I hard, Maya. I'm so sorry. Yeah. That's Thank horrible. you. My third baby and, you know, it's been seven months and it's still, it's something that will always follow me. And then following that, I just had a miscarriage, which the miscarriage is like early nine weeks, 10 weeks. So I'm like, okay, you know, the chromosomes didn't make it, whatever. That's a different story. But because I'm so open since season one about my pregnancy loss and now obviously the stillbirth, uh, a lot of women message me. So I try to be as helpful as possible because I know how I, the push pregnancy helped me and other organization to cope with my pain. So I'm trying to share and be involved as much as I can with pregnancy loss and stillbirth um, to other women because my inbox of my IG is full of messages from those women who experiences uh, loss. Um, so it's important for me if I can help somehow to other women. And frankly, it's helping myself. It's part of my healing process too, selfishly. So I'm sharing my stories on IG because it's not because I want people to feel sorry for me. But knowing I'm not the only one, it's kind of like help, helping me. I mean, we're big here, Financial Feminist HFK, of, of like talking about taboo things, right? Money is very taboo. We're trying to, you know, make these topics less less scary. And I think, I think what you're doing is beautiful because a lot of people, especially women, they go through these experiences and they feel siloed, right? They feel like they feel very alone and they're grieving. And so I just really appreciate that one, you've been very open about your experience. It makes everybody else feel less alone. And two, that, you know, you're, you're connecting people with resources. And of course, yeah, it, if that helps your grieving process, that, that great, you know, that's, that's, that's amazing as well that you can help and it helps you. You know, I share my stories and I have like over a million followers and most of them are women. So I got a lot of messages from women who had the same story, but those women necessarily don't have million followers. So they're like, wait, I had a stillbirth. Like I never met someone who had a stillbirth. Like, so for me, my platform allowed me to understand I'm not alone because I have all this exposure, but those women don't realize how common it is, more common than they think that they are not alone. So I'm doing as much as I can to be involved. I'll probably more do IG lives here and there, uh, participate, share uh, links and, and all that stuff to help uh, women, you know, with the grieving process and, the, you know, the whole process, basically. How can we as listeners help organizations and families who have gone through losses like yours? I think mostly donation, uh, I would say. Push Pregnancy, you know, it's a non-profit organization. So donation just to, you know, they're doing a lot to support in terms of like help financially for families or, you know, psychology, psychologists, grief therapists, all these things, putting events together, those things cost money. So I would say donation mostly, maybe just create awareness as well, spread the word, 
But that's the most important thing. So I would say probably donation. I mean, I'm doing another organization called Aliyah in Action. She sent me a box. It was a small, nice box after my pregnancy loss with a grieving book, with like soft socks, with like some lavender smell as soap. Very sweet stuff. But when I opened the box, I'm like, wow, how sweet. And she needs money because those boxes cost money. So it's called Aliyah in Action. So I donate myself. We'll link both of them in the show notes. That's great. Yeah, thank you. If You know, and it's also, by the way, for... um, families who, who lose their child after let's say you know you gave birth you had a baby for two seeds you know your son or your baby all of a sudden died a few months later it's also a very traumatic thing to experience so uh, those organizations are out there to help people in need yeah you've talked both about you know being able to connect with women in their grieving process of losing you know, a child or miscarrying, but also, you know, having women be inspired to be real estate agents or to get more involved. For people listening who are inspired by your story, what would you tell them? To the women who lost pregnancy or just real estate agents? I, 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 it's more like if somebody hears, you know, your experience, both professional or personal, and they feel inspired by you and want to take action just in general in their lives. Like maybe they want to pursue a dream that they've had. Maybe they, you know, they're trying to be more open about something that's happened in their life. Like what advice do you have for them? You know, I said, uh, listen to what, what listen to, to yourself. Uh, we know everybody grief, for, for grief, for instance, everybody grief differently. Pregnancy loss, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It happens, stillbirth, Unfortunately, happens not as common, but still happens. It's no, it's no one's fault. Uh, in terms of career, I think always like pursue your dreams, um, be ambitious, go for it. Uh, don't be afraid to fail because nothing is perfect. And for me personally, I had bad moments too uh, with with rejections, and I try to really like work on my mindset to brush the rejections off and just move forward because yeah, I had a client who rejected me, but then I got new client. And for me personally with griefing and all that crazy stuff that I've been going through and I had like really back to back, really like emotional, like stuff going on. I just have to keep pushing and be lucky and thankful for what I have and also stay busy, work out, exercise, have a good glass of wine at night. You know, now I'm not pregnant. I can drink. So all that helps me um, to move forward. And, you know, you have to really, like, try to work on your mindset to be optimistic. I know it's hard. Amazing. Maya, thank you for your time. This was such a lovely conversation. Thank you. You are welcome. Thanks for having me. And uh, don't buy a condo yet. Wait for the market to crash. (laughs) (laughs) That's the closing advice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where can people find you and connect with you? Oh, sure. It's the Maya Vander. It's on IG. I have a TikTok account, which... I love it. It's... Uh, yeah, I don't... I barely... I mean, active there because I feel like I need to be goofy <laughs> and cool and I need to get there. <laughs> you can do whatever the fuck you want on TikTok. And it's good. It's just like so boring. They're like, oh, real estate. You want to buy? You want to sell? I'm like, yeah, but... And I have LinkedIn if you are professional and I have an email, maya at mayavander.com. So you can find me on social media. Amazing. Thank you again for your time. Thank you so much. Have a good one. 
Thank you to Mai again for joining us for today's episode. We are so excited to share even more with you this month about money at home. And we hope you'll stick around, subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. You don't want to miss any of the episodes in this little mini series we're doing. As always, we've linked important resources from today's episode in our show notes, including links to Aaliyah in Action and Push Pregnancy. As always, we thank you for your support of the show. We couldn't do this without you. And we also couldn't get really high profile, amazing guests like Maya without y'all's support. So if you listen, if you rate, if you subscribe, that helps us continue to not only, of course, produce the show, but to also get incredible guests on who are super informative and who are literally coming off of your television onto our podcast, which is absolutely amazing. So thank you as always for your support, Financial Feminists. We will see you soon. Thank you for listening to Financial Feminist, a Her First 100K podcast. Financial Feminist is hosted by me, Tori Dunlap, produced by Kristen Fields, marketing and administration by Karina Patel, Olivia Koning, Sharice Wade, Alina Hilzer, Paulina Isaac, Sophia Cohen, Valerie Oresco, Jack Koning, and Anna Alexandra. Research by Arielle Johnson. Audio engineering by Austin Fields. Promotional graphics by Mary Stratton. Photography by Sarah Wolf. And theme music by Jonah Cohen Sound. A huge thanks to the entire Her First 100K team and community for supporting the show. For more information about Financial Feminist, Her First 100K, our guests, episode show notes, and our upcoming book, also titled Financial Feminist, visit herfirst100k.com. 